Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. This was probably 20 years ago, but I do remember when it was such a big deal that the Bassmasters came to Pittsburgh, right? And, and I, like, I remember growing up, like, you didn't fish in the Mon. Now, like, come on. <laughs> you didn't even want to swim in the Mon. No. <laughs> but they had the Bassmasters here. And, like, so I, I see Pennsylvania as having some of the best fishing and some of the best hunting areas along the East Coast. And people come here from all over. So I would like to bring money back to help expand that tourism. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 62, Talking Conservation with the U.S. House Candidate. Today, I'm going to be talking with Bill Marks. Bill is a Democrat who's running for the U.S. House of Representatives for Pennsylvania's 14th Congressional District. He's a father, he's a husband, he's a teacher. He's also a military veteran who still serves as a reservist. He also feels that conservation is an important part of the political landscape. And we're going to discuss just that. Topics they, that we're discussing here include water quality, uh, the impact of outdoor recreation, why conservation should matter to politicians, and how humans are a part of the ecosystem. Now, I have to give a disclosure here. This is not an endorsement for Bill's campaign. Conserve the Wild does not endorse any candidate or political party. Myself and the members of Conserve the Wild do not bleed blue or red. We all bleed purple. Conservation should always remain an apolitical space where decisions are made based on science and observations. This is where we stand and where we will always stand, on the side of conservation and on the side of the North American model of conservation. I welcome any and all political candidates to come on this program. If you would like to talk about your uh, view on conservation, I am willing to host you. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, or even from the Whig Party, it really doesn't matter to me. Uh, I welcome any and all to come on. Just so everyone's aware, uh, you know, like I said, Bill is the Democratic candidate uh, for the 14th Congressional District, uh, and uh, he is running against Guy Reschenthaler, uh, who is the uh, Republican for that district. Uh, I did invite Guy on. I have yet to hear back. Uh, if he decides, yeah, he's going to come on, I will gladly have him on to talk about uh, how he feels conservation fits in the politics. Like I said, not an endorsement for Bill. This is just a good conversation with another person about conservation. It just so happens he's running for the House of Representatives in Pennsylvania. So let's not dilly-dally any longer. Let's just get right to it. And here's my, concert, my conversation with Bill 
about conservation. All right, everyone, as you heard in the introduction, I am joined today by Bill Marks. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I am always excited to talk about anything conservation related, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I feel like I, people that have been listening to this show understand that I really try my hardest to keep politics out of what I talk about, just because especially now they've been so, politics is just so divisive. Mm -hmm. But with some of the recent things that have been passed uh, as legislation regarding conservation, um, you know, they've been pretty bipartisan, you know, with the Land and Water Conservation Fund uh, and that act, um, the Great American Outdoors Act. I mean, th these things that are being passed, they're pretty much universally accepted, um, which leads me into you know the idea of you know what what does conservation mean to you i mean you're you're running to be an elected official you know where does con the the conservation platform where does that stand for you for everything that you're trying to accomplish as a politician right uh, that's that's a great question uh you know conservation for me is all about stewardship and, and taking care of what you have and passing it on to the next generation. You know, as teachers, that's, that's what we do with knowledge, right? We take this knowledge and we pass it on, hopefully to make the next generation better. And I see that with conservation. Um, so I have, I have two young kids, you know, and, and I wanna make sure that what we have now is not spoiled for them. You know, I, I, I don't want my kids to look back on me when they're my age and, and say, you know what, why didn't you do something to stop this, something to change it? You know, uh, my son is like, he's so looking forward to wintertime because uh, we ski, we're a family of skiers. I've been doing it since, you know, I got involved in the ski club in my high school. And that's all he keeps talking about. Oh, winter's going to be soon. We can have snowball fights and we go skiing, you know, and, and uh every year it just seems like we get less and less snow and we, and we can do less and less things you know so i um i i want to kind of leave a world that you know my son is still able to teach his kids how to ski you know i that, that, that he can pass these activities down that he did with his dad to his own kids yeah I, that is 100 the reason why i'm doing it i i am involved in conservation because I want to not only leave something for the next generation, right? My eventual kids that I have someday, but I want to leave it better, mm -hmm. right? Um, my family has 70 acres uh, in Northern Pennsylvania that, um, you know, my grandfather left to my, my parents and my aunt and uncle, and it was relatively the same as whenever he bought it. Yeah. Um, when I pa eventually pass that on to my future kids, I want to leave the property better than whenever yeah. I had it, um, you know, whenever it eventually gets passed to me. Um, so I guess, you know, what is it about conservation? Like, what is it about the outdoors that gives you something to strive for? Like, what, what do you enjoy doing? I mean, you said you like to see, you're a skier, you like to ski in the wintertime. Um, but that's a, as of now, a, a pretty short season. So, I mean, what do you do outside that you're like, this is important to me that caused you to realize it's important to you? 
I, I mean, it, it started back when, when even I was young. You know, I, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and, and I remember, I, I, I'm old enough that I can still remember, you know, there were still some steel mills still left standing, you know, in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we were always active growing up. My, my dad, he'd come home, he had a construction job. He'd come home and he would still take us out in the yard and, and play catch with us, play football with us, you know, go swimming with us. Uh, we, we were lucky enough that we had behind my house, we had a nice couple acres of woods. And, uh, you know, we'd go up there and we'd spend summer days just disappeared in the woods and, 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 you know, climbing trees and building forts. And, you know, we did all this stuff as kids and I've always been an outdoors person, you know, um, even now I pass it on to my kids, uh, you know, where we live here in Delmont, we have a lot of these rails to trails and we go biking a lot on them. In fact, we're, we're planning on going this Saturday uh, up to the wilds of PA just to, just to get out and see the foliage and, uh, you know, get some exercise. So, so the outdoors for me is like my release. Like I, I feel better once I'm out there. I feel better uh, on, on kayaks. I feel better on bikes. I feel better just taking hikes to the woods. So that's, that's energizing to me. You know, some people play video games. I like getting outside with my kids. Um, so it's, it's funny you know, we talk about stewardship. We talk about getting outside. Um, when when I first moved out here, you know, I'm I'm in my wife's hometown. She grew up here in Delmont. And when I when we first moved out here, and we would go biking, we'd see all these uh, old mining towns, right? Uh, especially in the Black Lake Valley or around here, and um, the and, and I would point out to her like how the rocks, they were just stained, right? They were yellow or they were orange or, I mean, in the water just didn't look that good. And you could see some of the places where the mines would come off and they would always have little uh, cards there talking about, you know, what, what this creek was, you know, the mining operations that took place or the forestry operations that were happening and how it ruined the aquatic life, right? And, and I would point out to her, I said, look, I said, and, and they're building this up and it took them decades to build up, right? These, these, these companies came in, they got what they wanted, they got their profits and then they just up and left. And it was up to the people to really reclaim uh, these streams and these forests for themselves so that then they could use them. And then it took decades to clean it up and another couple of decades for the fish and everything to come back. And I, I don't want that to happen with my kids. Like I want them to be able to go fishing um, in the Kahnema or in the Black Lake Valley. I want them to be able to do these things. And I worry that we just don't learn enough from our past. We, we, we go to these places and we don't stop to think, why is it like this? Like, why are these streams this color? And, and then we don't, because we don't learn the past, we don't protect it for the future. We don't learn and say, hey, we don't want to have to go through where another 70 years it's going to take to clean it back up and to preserve it again. So um, I, for me, everything just comes down to protecting what we have for the next generation, because I have a vested interest in the next generation by having kids. And when you say protecting for that next generation, I mean, 
still, would you consider it more of a, a smart use of the land that we have and, and that kind of thing? Or is it just an all out? No, we're, we're not touching any land ever. Yeah, no, I don't agree with, uh, you know, like, like, let's put a fence up around it and preserve it as is. No, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, you know, we, we were given this land, right? Uh, we were given this land. And if, if uh, you know, you are of the, the Bible persuasion, if, if that's what you refer to, you know, e even in Genesis, we were told to take care, maintain and, and be stewards of the land. So it's not like we have to separate ourselves to preserve it. We just have to be smart about what we're doing, how we're using it, and then how do we minimize our footprint, so to speak, so that that way, you know, we're living in harmony with, with nature and, uh, you know, it, we're preserving it. Personally, I feel like that couldn't have been said much better. Uh, so, uh, you mentioned that you're planning to go up to the Pennsylvania wilds and up yeah, in Pennsylvania right. wilds, that's Cook's forest, uh, the wonderful state forest up there. Uh, we have the Allegheny national forest. We have this public land. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, we have this public land, um, that, that the public itself owns, right? Absolutely. I am a public landowner. You're a public landowner. Uh, there's obviously a whole lot of public land out West, uh, not quite as much on the East coast. Um, I mean, where does this public land, where, whether it's national forests, national or state parks, or BLM land, like where, where do you stand on the usage of that land or who should own it and, you know, that kind of thing? Like what, what, where are you looking at whenever you look at these lands? Like how should we treat them? I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so I just actually finished reading um, a, a couple biographies of Teddy Roosevelt. I, like, I'm fascinated with the man. Great He's man. One of my heroes, yeah. And, and if, if nobody has, has read about Teddy Roosevelt, I, I urge your listeners and followers to go read about Teddy and find out about this man. So the book that, that I just finished reading was called Theodore Rex, right? And the, the book prior to that uh, was about the first half of his, of his life. Um, it was called Theodore Rising. And in that book, it talks about how he actually had left the state legislature and moved out west and became a cattle rancher. Okay. And he worked with the cattle ranchers. But while he was out there, he saw in his time the, the, the change that was happening to the plains. Uh, you know, the, 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 the destruction of, of the buffalo and how the destruction of the buffalo then affected the, the, the land and the soil and how these, the, these different um, cattlemen would come in and it just ruined the plains and how he remembered them from when he first lived out there as a cattleman. So he became a very strong conservationist because he felt like, no, you know, we should be protecting this land and overgrazing and overhunting. And I mean, the guy was a big hunter, don't get me wrong. But he even knew there, there comes a limit where you, where you need to start saying, okay, we need to preserve this, right? We, we need to keep it where it is. So my view is more like a Teddy Roosevelt view, you know, uh, being a sportsman, I understand that, you know, hunting is, is not evil. Hunting is, is good. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do, but we also need to work to preserve the land. 
Speaking of the Allegheny National Forest, a lot of people don't know we have that forest because of programs like the New Deal Civilian Conservation Corps completely replanted that forest because when we had left it up to the private interest, they had gone in and just logged it completely down. Um, when if, if you get a chance to go up to the, um, the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, they have a whole plaque there that shows pictures of what it was with nothing on these hillsides, right? So I look at it as if, if we don't maintain the lands, if we don't have at least some government regulation on these lands, you know, businesses come in and, and they're all about profit. They just want to, they'll take as much as they can because it's a profit for them. And, and that's, that's what their driving motivation is. And I, I think the, the, the government and, and people like that with these federal lands, uh, the Bureau of Land Management, they look at it as, no, this is the people's land. We need to preserve this for the people, you know? So again, I'm not saying we put a fence up around it and we don't let people in there, but we just get smart about what we're doing. We can develop logging policies that, you know, help clean out a lot of these forests and, and you know, still maintain them uh, without completely destroying them. You know, we, we can maintain uh, dams and, and fisheries so that people can go in and, and these fishing companies can still make a profit, but we can also do it in such a way that it protects the river, it protects the, the, uh, the fish, and, you know, it, it actually keeps the land pristine. So I, I think we can do it. I think there is a balance. I, I don't think that, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, especially from the, the Clive and Bundys and those people, they just want to take over the land period. Well, they want that because they don't want to have to pay for rights. You know, they just want the profit without having the cost. And the whole reason we have lands out West now is because of the policies that over a hundred years ago, Teddy Roosevelt fought for and passed and put in place and said, no, no, we, we need to save these for future generations. Um, and if he hadn't done that, I, I sometimes wonder what, what the West would look like today. Yeah, it's all about that uh, sustainable use. You know, yes. we, we can use the resources. They are, uh, it, it, you know, the trees, the, the water, it is a resource, but we can't use it to the point that it's no longer there. Um, right. Or, or had it to the point where it's no longer there. Um, National Geographic had an article, this is a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, about reintroducing coyotes into Yellowstone. Uh, have you read it? Do you know anything about this? Uh, I don't remember if I read that one or not. So so it's it's fascinating. If I find out, I'll send it to you again, uh, or I'll send it to you after this. But what they did was they introduced, um, it was a small number, uh, you know, four or six coyotes that used to be in, in Yellowstone, right? Uh, but they had been hunted out because the ranchers don't like it because they attacked. So, you know, so, but they reintroduced it into Yellowstone. And within just a couple of years, not only did they have a thriving coyote population, but it completely changed the landscape of Yellowstone. They said, you know, because Yellowstone was taken over by these deer, right? And these deer would go in these canyons because they weren't afraid and they would just eat, all, all these wildflowers, all those grasses. Well, now introducing the coyotes, 
it helped maintain the deer population. The deer stopped going into certain places and it let nature come back. Like it's, it's a, it, it changed the top, the topography of Yellowstone because now some trees were able to take root on, on these streams and then re, um, reinforced the stream so they weren't being washed away, which then changed the direction of the streams. They said, they said just this one little thing completely changes the park. And uh, it was fascinating to read it, how we don't realize just how interconnected things are. You know, uh, we hunted the, the, the Nittany lion, um, you know, which is my wife's alma mater. You know, we hunted that to extinction in, in this state. And, you know, now we have deer that are just going through and destroying crops, destroying yards, destroying people's cars. And, you know, sometimes we just wonder, well, we made this change because we didn't think far enough ahead. So well, what, if we get rid of this thing, what will happen to everything else? So I, I think that the BLM, the, the Bureau of Land Management, when they come up with these programs to reintroduce some species or, or to tell people, hey, no, you, you, can't, you can't graze here because we do have a species that's here that, that could be threatened by your you know, they are thinking of the long-term usage of that land and why we may not always understand or agree with it. Um, I do believe that they have the long-term usage in their plan, as opposed to sometimes the ranchers who are just looking for, well, I got to make my next, uh, my next quarterly profits, you know? So that, I mean, that's my view. Yeah. It, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love deer. I love seeing deer. Um, yeah. But, you know, especially when they got big racks and they walk right in front. Of you. Yeah, that would, that's even better. Um, but, you know, too, too much of, of a good thing is a bad thing. You know, I mean, and, yeah. you know, we're seeing that on our property. We have, um, you know, I mean, I saw on the first day of archery season, I saw 19 deer in a couple hours in the morning, which was great. Uh, but when you get down from a tree stand and look around, you can see that our uh, young trees are severely overbrowsed. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, we might have more deer, but the herd itself is actually um, not as healthy as it should be or as it could be if we had just a few less deer utilizing our property. Right. Um, and I love that you bring up uh, good old Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, for those listeners that, that didn't get a chance, uh, episode 57, I actually, uh, myself and a fellow colleague, went to depth about Teddy Roosevelt. Now, he was the best president for conservation um, that we have ever had and probably will have for a long time. He was, uh, he was a bull moose. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned in the beginning that, you know, politics has been, it, it's always been very divisive, um, really throughout our entire history. As soon as you have multiple parties uh, and people of differing opinions, it's, you know, you're going to have arguments. Um, and that conservation is a way that we can sort of bring both sides together. Um, so when you heard the news of, you know, the full permanent funding of land and water conservation, uh, the land and water conservation fund, um, we're now trying to pass or, or may have just passed uh, a modernization to the Pittman Robinson Act. I mean, how does that make you feel whenever you see that we're try that politicians are working together to try to figure out a way to enhance conservation now? I, I, I it makes me feel good. You know, I mean, I, I, so one of the classes I teach is AP U.S. government. And I tell my students all the time, 
compromise is not a four letter word. Compromise is the name of the game. And that's exactly what people who are elected to office should be doing, you know, because you're not going to agree with everybody that you have to represent. So you need to compromise to try to help the most people as possible. Um, and I always hate when I see these politicians running for office and say, I, I won't compromise that you should, you know? So when I see stuff like the Pittman Robinson Act, when I see uh, legislators coming together across party lines and, and preserving our land for the future, for the generation, for my kids' generation and their kids' generation, it makes me feel really good. Like, okay, this this is actually working. Um, I, I just wish that, uh, as you said, politics has become divisive and it always has been, but it seems to me anymore that your politics are now in affecting your facts. And, and that is what I really, um, I, I really am, am sad about the loss of, you know, this, this dialogue that we can't, you know, agree on the facts anymore that we just constantly fight over each other. And we, you know, if you're in this camp, you believe one thing, if you're in this camp, you believe the other thing. And it makes things like the Pittman Robinson, it makes those very hard uh, to accomplish anymore. And, um, you know, if, if it continues, we won't see bipartisan acts like this happening. And if we don't get that, then, you know, these acts are in danger of being just overruled or, or even overwritten when the next Congress comes in. You know, stuff like, like this act here and the other conservation acts that we've had that are bipartisan, they stay a long time because people look at them and say, no, we all agreed with it. We all had a hand in crafting it and we all have skin in the game. So I, I think it, it's actually smart and, and, you know, it's, it's long-term to, to craft these, these acts that are bipartisan. How here, here's your chance to stump a little bit. Um, you know, you're going to be representing the, you're working, you're campaigning to try to represent members of Pennsylvania. So if you would get elected, what would you do to support outdoor recreation for the, the people in your district? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I see the job of a congressman is simply to um, represent the interests of the people and, and to bring money back to, um, to the district. You know, uh, especially in the House. In the House of Representatives, that's that's their number one job is revenue, is funding, right? Um, and what I would like to do is, as a congressman, is help bring back a lot of funding to this district that um, that really expands a lot of these trail systems that I talked about earlier. Because I see people here, I see what they do for a lot of these small towns. They increase tourism. Um, they get people out and about to see these places and they get people to, to get out and enjoy nature and then to have a vested interest in it. Right. So I, I would like to do that, uh, when it comes to biking, when it comes to hunting and fishing, 
I want to protect and preserve the waterways that we do have. Uh, as I said earlier, there's, there's a lot around here that have been poisoned that are now starting to come back and you're starting to see a lot of the aquatic life return. Um, I, I remember, I mean, this was probably 20 years ago, but I do remember when it was such a big deal that the Bassmasters came to Pittsburgh, right? And, and I, like, I remember growing up, like, you didn't fish in the Mon. Now, like, come on. <laughs> you didn't even want to swim in the Mon. No. <laughs> but they had the Bassmasters here. And, like, so I, I see Pennsylvania as having some of the best fishing and some of the best hunting areas along the East Coast. And people come here from all over. So I would like to bring money back to help expand that tourism to help uh, re, uh, you know, I just lost the word, but help help clean up all the creeks and everything we have and, and restock them with native species and then protect our waterways from invasive species like the Asian carp that, that's coming up through the, through the Midwest. Uh, you know, but we have to do that with education. We have to do that with funding and uh, we have to do that with uh, just a desire to, to really prop up the, um, the agencies that we already have, you know, that have been severely underfunded. Um, Speaking speak of the waterways, waterways, it made me think of something. So this summer, and I don't know, this is just my ignorance, but this summer we were kayaking down the Juniata and I saw an otter, a river otter. And then I found these uh, like clams that were like, I mean, they were huge. And I was like, where are these coming from? And I thought maybe that, that somebody had brought them. And then later on down the river, there was actually a sign that talked about like, no, like mollusks and things are native to Pittsburgh or not Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania streams. And river otters are very common in Pennsylvania. They're actually making a comeback. And mm -hmm. it just made me think like, wow, like I'm 40 some years old and like I, I am still learning about the environments that make up Pennsylvania and how maybe I didn't know about them when I was younger because they weren't here. And now we are bringing these back and it's such a great thing. Yeah, we've definitely made uh, leaps and bounds since, you know, in the last 100 years to help start bringing the ecology of our region back to where it really should be. Cause it was, it was really devastated as you mentioned with the Allegheny national forest, um, you know, between uh, logging and, and then using those logs, not just for the timber, but also for tanning, um, you know, in that industry. And I mean, it left that area just barren uh, yeah. and then being able to use something like the CCC where, you know, during the great depression, putting people to work to replant that forest. And those are the trees that you're seeing now, yeah. um, you know, out there and, and having this beautiful space, it's definitely um, awesome to see that we're starting to come back to where we were at one time, um, you know, as sometimes not quite as quickly as one would hope, but uh, still taking steps forward is always a good thing. Uh, well, I, I, I want to go back to something you said too. Um, you know, like when I teach the uh, New Deal era in my history class, you know, uh, I, I have found some very good videos that show what living in a CCC camp was like. And it has interviews with, with these old men. Basically they were, they were young, they were 17, 18, 
most of them had dropped out of high school and they were sent off to these camps to live in, to work in. They were given an education, uh, but then they, you know, during the day they, they worked in rebuilding, replanting forests, um, building a lot of the, the pavilions and everything, the hiking trails, you know. They, and every year I have students asking me, well, how come they don't still have that? I, I'd volunteer to do that. I, I would, oh, Mr. Marks, if they had that, I would so do that. And so one of the other things I want to do when I get to Congress is look into having national service programs like that for kids. Hey, right out of high school, if, if you don't think, you know, college is your thing right now, come serve, you know, serve for a couple of years and then come back and go to college and earn your tuition, right? You know, like I said, from the beginning, I, I've, I serve in the military because I feel that it's my duty to give something back. So why don't we have programs like this that could help teach kids stewardship, that could help teach kids about conservation, help teach kids, you know, skills that then they, they could take on and use for a career later on, or they could, you know, at least take that time and then use it for a college degree or whatever they want to do with that educational funding we give them. You know, people talk about free college and I don't think it should be free, but I think if you do something like that, then yeah, we should, you know, waive your tuition because you gave something back to your community in this country and, and that's what you deserve. So. Yeah. A lot of people uh, like, you know, it's trendy now to make fun of these young people, these uh, millennials uh, that I'm on the cusp of and uh, you know, the Gen Z kids. I yeah. I, yeah. We see them every day. And yeah. the thing that I see is especially these kids that have, that are in high school now, they have a want to volunteer. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you. Let's give them avenues to volunteer and then reward them for their volunteering efforts. Uh, you know, yeah. I teach in a small district uh, that graduates 130-ish kids a year. Uh, our biggest club is Key Club that is a service-based club. Uh, yeah. You know, we have 600 kids in our building, uh, a typical key club meeting, although not now because of social distancing, but uh, in years past, you know, we would have 200 to 250 kids in that club. Uh, you know, that's, that's amazing to me to see how many kids now really look at volunteering as uh, a viable and important way to spend their time. Yeah, uh, I, I can't say that I was like that as passionately as they are now whenever I was their age. Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed by finding out what my students do outside of class. You know, it's not just working, it's not just sports. And it really does upset me when I hear people. And, and every generation makes fun of the younger generation. I know it. Uh, but it does upset me when I hear some of the, the stereotypes that people say. And, and I say, look, I... I deal with these kids. I, I see hundreds of them every single day. They are not like this. You know, they, they are always seem really, really good, very um, engaged uh, young men and women who are coming up to our high schools that I that give me hope for the future. Well, Bill, I want to be cognizant of your time. Uh, so I want to give you one last little little spot here to uh, stump anything about conservation, anything um, outdoors related, anything that you would like uh, people to know um, before we go into uh, this election cycle. I, I, I think this election cycle is very important and um, for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because 
just like every election, but this one, it seems more important than ever that this really is, is, you know, a, a fork in the road for our country, right? Um, and I think, and I personally feel that what we do in the next 30 days is, is really going to reverberate for generations down the line. Um, is, is, you know, people have said often in the past, this is one planet, this is all we get. Um, I, I think that, you know, now more than ever, we need to start paying attention to what the planet is telling us and what the scientists are telling us. Um, you know, uh, I know in my lifetime, snow days have gotten fewer and fewer. I know that, you know, a lot of the things I'd like to do, I used to do as a kid, I can't do anymore. Um, summer times have become hotter and hotter. Uh, so I, I just feel that we need to start realizing our actions do have consequences. And we need to start thinking about not just my kids, but you know, the kids in your neighborhood, maybe your grandkids, for people who are watching, you know, people are going to be living with our decisions for generations and for decades after we're gone. And I, as I said earlier, I do not want my kids to get to my age and look at me and say, dad, why didn't you do more to stop this? And uh, I just want to make sure that they have the opportunities that I had and they have these these places that I enjoy taking them, I want to make sure that they are still there for their kids to go and enjoy as well. Well, Bill, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate this conversation and uh, good luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation with Bill. We talked for uh, a good while before and after uh, the recorded session and just uh, a lot of the things we talked about conservation wise and hunting and fishing and being outdoors. Um, you know, you can definitely tell he has a, a passion for being outdoors as much as he can. Um, you know, as a lot of you know, being a family man, that's oftentimes not as much as, as you would like it to be. Um, I want to thank him for coming on. It was uh, it, it was definitely, like I said, a, a good conversation. I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with him. And I just want to reiterate real quick that this is not an endorsement for him and for his political campaign. That That's not what this episode was about. Uh, this episode um, really just um, came organically. Uh, you know, the idea of, of talking to Bill just sort of came organically. Um, and uh, I'm always willing to talk conservation with anyone. And like I said in the intro, that's uh, anyone that wants to come on and talk, and whether they're a political candidate or not. Uh, I don't care what party. Um, I really don't look at politics and conservation in the same space. I mean, there's a lot of uh, times that, that politics influence conservation. We've seen that with a lot of good bills that are going through. And notice that those bills that have gone through this year, Great American Outdoors Act, uh, the full and permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the modernization of the Pittman-Robinson Act, notice that a lot of that was very bipartisan. And there's a reason for that. Who doesn't love clean air, clean water, wild animals, the idea of wild spaces if you don't get out there yourself? Um, so, you know, 
I invite any political candidate or anyone on. You guys want to talk about whatever you want. Uh, what you know, want to talk about conservation? Uh, I'm all ears. Let let's do that. Uh, if you're not a politician and you just want to talk conservation with me, shoot me an email. We'll we'll get a phone call going, and uh, if you know if it's good conversation, maybe it gets recorded and we we can do a podcast. I'm always looking to talk about the outdoors as much as possible. I do want to make one quick clarification uh, in our conversation. Bill and I uh, were talking about the Yellowstone ecosystem, and he mentioned uh, the introduction of, of coyotes. Uh, it, he was he was right uh, in the in the introduction aspect, but it wasn't coyotes; it was wolves, uh, which we clarified in our conversation after we got done recording. And um, you know that if you want to see how the introduction of wolves have impacted and actually really improved the, the overall ecosystem in Yellowstone. Uh, take a look at a documentary called uh, A River Runs Through. It's really well done and it really explains how the wolves have had a positive impact on the ecosystem. You know, um, you know here in Pennsylvania, we, you know, we're, especially if you're a hunter, you love deer, you love white-tailed deer, and you know that coyotes prey on fawns and um, you know, for hundreds of years in our country, we went to war against predators, and it really crushed the ecosystem. Um, you know, I know we don't want to compete with predators, right, at being predators, but they are an important part of the landscape, and we need to live uh, with predators, with prey, uh, with wildlife, and, and as humans become a part of that ecosystem ourselves. I know this has been a long exit, so I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, don't forget, if you uh, have the opportunity, make sure you subscribe and please share this podcast with your friends and family. Growing this podcast organically has definitely been the best way that we can go about it. And I want to try to continue that as much as possible. So until next week, when we talk about some other good stuff, stay wild. <laughs>